This is the Exodus story. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God didn't lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He said, God will certainly come to help you. When he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. So the Israelites left, and they camped on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore. Then Pharaoh will think, ah, the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped where they were told. When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all these Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt and with all of their commanders. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians came and caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. Then the angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp 
The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptian and Israelite camps. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and Israelites did not approach each other all night. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea but just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from these Israelites, the Egyptians shouted. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. When all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and their charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. Of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground as the water stood up like a wall on both sides. That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the body of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Let's pray. God, we gather here today acknowledging that we need you that we're here to meet with you. We know that you are a God who is already among us. Your spirit is here present and active, and so we welcome you to teach us and shape us. As we encounter a, a power riveting story such as this, I pray that we would meet you in the midst of it, that we would come to know you and love you and seek you, God. I pray that we would wrestle through the challenging parts and that at the end of all of this, we too would stand before you in awe that we would choose to trust you and put our faith in you and follow wherever it is you lead us. God, I pray for myself this morning that you'd give me your words to speak. As always, I pray that I would not say anything that's not for you or from you. And if I do, God, let us forget that immediately. But I pray that everything that we do in this space as we gather today would be done to bring you glory and honor so that you would be known and so that we would be known by you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Journey. My name's Chris. We're in the midst of a series called Unlikely Leader where we're looking at the life of Moses. 
And today we find ourselves in quite possibly the most famous story connected to the life of Moses, him ushering the Israelites through the Red Sea. I don't know if you've ever actually heard that whole story read out loud like that, but every time I listen to it, a different detail captures my attention. Uh, A different thing causes me to to think or wrestle about who God is and what he's like and what he's asking us to do. And I'm gonna try to highlight a few of those things along the way this morning. But kind of before we get into that, what what I was hoping to do is just give us an idea of who these people are that Moses is actually leading. Right, we've got it. We're talking about Moses and his leadership, but to know about the leader, you'd probably need to know about the people that he's leading. And so here we have the Israelites, the people of God. And we encounter them in the book of Exodus after they've been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. So just let that sink in for a moment because it gives a whole new light to everything then that Moses is doing as he leads people out of oppression and slavery who've existed generation after generation after generation, beat down by the hands of the Egyptian leaders, forced to work, their children killed, discarded. That's the life they lived. And so here we are now at this moment in which Moses is leading them, an exodus, right? They're exiting Egypt and they're gonna go to the promised land. How many Israelites are there? Because as I read that story, that's like the number one thing I'm thinking, how is it possible that Moses is leading this giant group of people? And there's a lot of different answers about how many Israelites were leaving Egypt into the wilderness. The best answer I found that I cannot unpack for you right now, you just have to trust me because it has to do with like one word in Hebrew that gets translated a bunch of different ways. It's super boring, but it's probably around 30,000 people. So some some people were saying like 3,000 and some people were saying like 6 million, which that seems insane. So we're gonna settle in with just for the sake of our picture in our mind around 30,000 people. That's who Moses is leading, okay? 30,000 Israelites into the wilderness after 400 years of oppressive slavery. And I think it's just this great mysterious reminder as we read a story like this, that perhaps our lives are not always set in stone, not always stuck, not always unable to change. Perhaps we really can be set free from whatever it is that enslaves us. Maybe that's actually a possibility now. And so why is it finally happening now? Because maybe you also too have been like 400 years calling out. Why now are the people of God being ushered from slavery to the promised land? Do you know why? Because God heard their cry. God heard their cry and he responds. What's interesting in this story is that they forget that very quickly when trouble is encroaching upon them, when they're afraid. They go, God, just take us back. Take us back to Egypt so we can be slaves again. That would be way better than this. And God's probably like, no, no. Remember the 400 years you've been crying out for me to rescue you? We're like part of the way there. Just settle settle down. 
And so here's this story of Moses and the Exodus that actually I think is more than just a story that applies to our own personal lives. There's something bigger at play in all of this. Yes, it will speak to us as individuals, but this is also the story of a God coming down to defend the oppressed, right? To shut down the bully. It's a story that speaks to those in power. As one author puts it saying, your days in power are numbered because the deepest forces of the universe are on the side of the oppressed, the underdog, the powerless. This whole story in the book of Exodus is written by those who are under oppression, who are being set free. And yet, the people of Israel are fickle people. 400 years crying out, God, save us, rescue us, come to us. And finally, Pharaoh lets the people go. They do a little bit of a roundabout on their exit out of Egypt. They end up on the edge of a seashore. And Pharaoh, 600 of his best chariots and everybody else is coming at him. And it says, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. And I want you just to envision this because again, it's a famous story, perhaps one we've heard, perhaps you've even watched one of the terrible movies done about this. But I want you to envision what it would have felt like to be people 400 years in oppressive slavery finally outside the walls on the move. And you're to the edge of the water and you think, we might make it. And you turn around and the most powerful army you've ever known, you've ever heard of, is coming quick. And as that's happening, they cried out to the Lord. And then they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still there? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. And when we're reading this from our vantage point, we're just like, guys, like what an interesting cry. So I want you to feel what it feels like for people who've wanted to get free for so long, to be on the cusp of freedom, and then fear rises up in them and they immediately want to return to the way that it was before. Can we not relate to that? Is that not much of our own journey as we get rescued from that which we've been crying out for God to rescue us? So as they make this claim, I start to ask the question, hold on. Is Moses really even leading these people? Like, is Moses even doing anything at all? Right, because tradition tells us, yes, that Moses is the leader of the Israelites. We've titled our series as such. We know that as such. Moses is, in fact, that, right? But was he really leading? The next verse says this. But Moses told the people a thing a leader would do. Don't be afraid. Good word. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. Kind of a good word. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Can you imagine now Moses charged with leading these people who are now being like, hey, we'd rather be slaves and they're all freaking out. 
And he's like, just stay calm. Just stay calm, right? Like, I can just envision him standing up in front of everybody. Don't be afraid. Just stay calm. He keeps doing that over and over again, right? And so he says, just stand still here and watch the Lord rescue you. What a great leader. Next verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. And I just love that. Like, that's, that's hilarious to me that Moses, like I envision him trying to step into this role as the unlikely leader of the people of God. And he's like, don't be afraid. God will fight for you. Stay calm. Stay here. And the Lord's like, keep moving. Keep moving. So we see this unique dichotomy playing out here, right? Moses is trying to be what he thinks he needs to be. He's trying to be obedient to the Lord. He's speaking truth to them. And the Lord says, you're almost there. Yeah, stay calm here, but don't stay still there. Get moving. So then we find out a few verses later that it was indeed God who's been leading all along. Verse 19 says, then the angel of God who had been leading the people of Israel moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. What's actually beautiful in all of this as we try to understand what it means to be a leader is that God's with Moses. God's hearing or speaking to Moses. Moses is hearing his voice. And then Moses is responding and changing his plans accordingly. It wasn't like he had a terrible idea. He was just going with what he thought God might want and then God changed a plan on him. He's like, yeah, that plan is better. Let's adjust. Right, like he could have said, no, 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 no. We're staying right here, Lord, take care of it. Instead, he's responding as he goes along and hears the Lord speaking. So what does this tell us then about Moses and about leadership? I think perhaps this tells us that the truest form of leadership is when we are leading in utter dependence on God, going with God. That's what's unlikely about that kind of leadership. Moses isn't necessarily the, the strong front driving person. He is that and he has to be that. But he's one who is utterly dependent on God to speak. And then he goes with God, not out in front. So here they are on the edge of the seashore. They gotta get moving so they move along the seashore. Still, there's no place to go. And so they camp. And I love, again, the imagery of this, right? They've been wandering around in some roundabout, backwards way in the wilderness. And they've got themselves now, this is probably over a handful of days, right? Now they've got themselves to the edge and they're panicking because they see the Egyptians coming. And night falls. And I just love the imagery of that. The people of God, scared for their lives, still have to make it through the night. Night still comes. So as this story continues to unfold, it's one of my favorite little lessons to look at as we encounter this text. Let me just read it to you one more time. though. The clouds settled between the Egyptian and Israelite camps. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and Israelites did not approach each other all night. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew 
all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. The people of God, 400 years of enslavement on the run, have to wait through the night as the wind just beats. I mean, feel it. My guess is many of us have been camping and a crazy wind has come up. Just imagine being there in the darkness. Well, the light of the cloud, right? The fire is there, but there's still all around it that's pitch black. And the wind just continually beating. It's such a picture of waiting in the dark to me. Waiting for God to do something in the slow movement of the water. Like if we just stop and think of the entire night, the wind stirring. That doesn't meet our desire for instant gratification, right? Because that's what the people of God are crying out for. Like, get us out of here now. Why couldn't God say, Moses, raise your staff, and he raises his staff, and it's just like, right, immediately. No. He uses the wind, and the wind beats all night long, churning the sea, churning the sea. They have no idea what's going to happen next. They're just waiting in the dark, dependent on the light of God to intervene on their behalf and show them where to go. And then it happens. The seabed is dry and some 30,000 people need to get across the Red Sea. That's when I do not envy Moses and his leadership for one second. All right, like I, I spent many years as a youth pastor trying to herd around middle school students from this place to that at a camp or whatever, like 30,000 of these people who are just in panic mode. Well, it's like, what's this? It's like herding cats, I'm sure, right? Fortunately, they have a pretty, pretty narrow passageway. He's like, just everybody through there, all 30,000 of you, carry on. And so they make their way through. And at this point in time, as I'm following the story in real time with real emotion, like I'm anticipating this, they're going to make it. I'm thinking to myself, we're going to make it. Right? These, are, these are me, this is my people, we're going to make it. We get to the other side. All the people. And then chapter 14, verse 28 says, Then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. Of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. And it took me a lot of readings to sit with this and realize what that actually meant. It meant that 30,000 of God's people are standing on the seashore and thousands of people are being buried in the sea. Like I just, the cost in all of that was quite striking to me. It was a heavy detail that I had overlooked many times before in my celebration of God's people being delivered to the other side. We read later that as they're gathered on the opposite side of the seashore, they see the bodies float up and they know for sure that those that they had seen alive, they do not see alive again, just as they've been told. And I think we do a disservice to the power of a passage such as this if we don't stop for a moment and evaluate the heaviness of such a thing as that. 
to not rush by it, to not let the water rush over our own ability to sit with this and realize what's happening. Who in history has had total power and used it to serve others? Not Egypt. And we see the cost. What about ourselves? What are we doing with our power and how are we stewarding it to serve others? Jürgen Moltmann says this, as Christians, our identification with the crucified Christ means solidarity with the sufferings of the poor and the misery of both the oppressed and the oppressors. While the people of God needed to get free, the people of Egypt needed to get free too. And they never reckoned with that until it was too late and they'd been covered by the sea. There's something heavy about that for me when we pause on a day like today, a Memorial Day weekend, and we think about life lost and all that's connected to that and what Jesus then has to say about what that means and how we actually join in solidarity with the oppressed and the oppressor and realize for a moment how much God loves every single life. And we can't explain it all away. We don't have a great answer to all of it. But that God loves every single life is something that we can hold on to. And then it's over. So climactic all along the way. You can feel all of the tension as they're on the run, as they're moving through the wilderness, as the sea finally opens up and they cross through. They're being chased. All the tension as the, the chariot's tires are all twisted and there's chaos in the sea. And then water rushes back over the top of thousands of people. You can feel it. And then it's done. And they're there on the other side. And it says, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. And if we were trying to follow this story as one that teaches us about leadership, it's so intriguing to me that we finally get to the end of this whole encounter. And all the people can do is stand in awe of the Lord. They have been delivered. They have been rescued. Their lives were not, in fact, set in, so set in stone, stuck, unchangeable. He, in fact, intervened. And they put their faith in this Lord and in his servant, Moses. And I love that it's servant Moses, because he doesn't actually play all that prominent of a role in all of this. God does everything. He's just a conduit, a servant to God and to his people. And is that not foreshadowing to Jesus himself, right, who solidifies this both in Mark and Matthew and his version in John where he says, for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Moses is showing us, yes, a picture of what it might look like to be a servant leader, but he's also showing us what's going to come, the ultimate servant leader, Jesus himself. So, as we wade through a story such as this, May we then, in fact, be people who create space for others to be filled with awe before the Lord. For we're all called to be his servants. Let us be people who are so utterly dependent on God to hear his voice and to act on what we hear, knowing that we go with God, not racing out before and not even lagging behind, but going with him. For he's a God who longs to go with us and deliver us and set us free. I'm gonna give you just a few moments to, to sit with this God who wants to go with you. Whatever it is you need to take before him, whatever it is you need to ask him, whatever it is you need to say to him, maybe you just need to sit and be still in his presence, that's welcome too. But take a few moments to do that and then I'll lead us here into communion in a moment. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we're here in your presence right now, we acknowledge that we need you. You are a God of deliverance. You come for the enslaved, the powerless, the underdog, the oppressed. And you long to go with your people. And so may we become stewards of your withness. May we be servants like Moses. May we be servants like your son Jesus. May we be inspired by such a story as this to continue to lay down our own lives. But God, I also pray that as we navigate stories such as this, that they would come alive to us in fresh ways because we would be reminded of who you are as a God, a God who comes near, a God who's in the details, a God who meets us in the midst of our own pain, our own challenge, our own fear, our own confusion. And you provide a way. And not just a way, but a way in which you go with us. We praise you for that. We thank you for that. God, we receive the grace of your deliverance. And we see it even more prominently in your son, Jesus, who delivers us to right relationship with you through his life, death, and resurrection. And so God, I pray that we would be people who serve first empowered by your spirit and that we would aid in the serving of others and setting others free. We would join those in need. We would surround one another with friendship and community. Pray that we would lean on you and one another 
because you are such a God who wants to go with us. It's the reminder you don't intend for us to go alone. And as we go together, as we leave this place together, as one family of God, would it be as people who serve and love, who receive your love and give your love in ways that impact our valley and the world beyond for your glory, God. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.